0: I'm really very excited and happy to be with you. Before I accept any invitation to go anywhere, I pray a lot about it. And then after accepting the invitation, I started to pray for you. So every day, I go around Andrews University campus and lift you up to the Lord in a prayer. I I know some of you, but the Lord knows all of you, and that's really what's important. Today I am going to uh, tell you the story of the prodigal son from a Middle Eastern perspective. But before that, we have a request for a prayer of Olivia Grace, who is nine months old and have spent 83 days in the ICU. So I'd just like to start by praying for her. Our Father in heaven... I lift up to you Olivia Grace. Lord, um, I really don't know the situation. I don't know the details of the nature of her illness. But I know you are a great physician, a great doctor. And I I pray that right now you will touch her and bring healing and health to her. Thank you, Lord. In the name of uh, the great Physician, the great I Am, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you are 13 years or younger, I'd like you uh, to lift up your hands. I'd like to see you. All right. I'm going to uh, tell the story of the prodigal son. And there are two questions I'd like you to answer. And if you get the right answer today, only today, You could get two pieces of dessert at lunch. (laughs) And if your mom and dad are against it, just tell them that I said it's okay for today. (laughs) First, why did the father run in the story? Why did the father run? And number two, what do the sandals in the story represent? Many, many years ago, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the dean of a seminary came to a professor by the name of Kenneth Bailey and asked him to preach on the story of the prodigal son. He read the story in preparation to write the sermon. And for the first time in his life, he asked the question, when do you get the inheritance? He said, well, the young man in the story asked for the inheritance before the death of his father. He said, that doesn't happen here in this country. He said, maybe it's different in the Middle East. So he went to the library researching the subject. He couldn't find anything written on it. He preached the sermon to the best he could. But then after that, he asked for four weeks sabbatical to go to the Middle East to investigate the story of the prodigal son. The four weeks ended up being 40 years. He went from Turkey to Sudan, from Iran to Morocco. He went to the remote villages because life in these villages today is almost the same as it was at the time of Christ. He will go to these villages and will open the Bible, will read the story from Luke 15, and ask the question, have this ever happened in your village? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I know you are here in this place because you have promised if there are two or three gathered in your name, you will be with them. What a privilege, what an honor that the king of the entire universe is here with us today. We love you, and today I pray that you will speak through me, that you will anoint me, especially as I attempt to tell this old, old story in a new light. Lord, I pray that it will thrill our hearts and will tell us About how wonderful, loving, and gracious God you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Had anyone of you here ever run away from home? Let me see your hands. I see several hands. How many of you have thought about running away from home, but you were too chicken to try it? (laughs) A lot of people. Well, I ran away from home when I was eight years old because my mother was a very unreasonable woman. (laughs) No, seriously, she was. She expected me every day to clean my room, (laughs) to make my bed. There is no logic to that because I'm going to get into it that evening. My mother had no concept of playing or watching television. Not only that, she was the one who created messes in the kitchen. But it was my responsibility to clean after her. If you continue to do stuff like this to your children, you might inflict severe psychological damages on them. Well, one day, I have had it with her. So I decided to run away. I was only eight years old. I didn't know what to do. So I went to the backyard of my house. I played with my neighbor for a while. And then his mother called him in. I was left all by myself. So I decided to go behind the trees that were behind our house. And I started hearing my mother calling me. At the beginning, her voice was angry. But then progressively, her voice became very, very concerned. And suddenly it became dark. I became hungry. (laughs) I was cold. I was afraid. And finally, I came back to my senses. And I said, life is not that bad at home. (laughs) So I decided to take my chances and go back home. I expected that I would have a scolding or a spanking from my mother. My mother saw me from a distance. And she just started to cry. And she ran toward me. She fell on me. She started kissing me and hugging me tight. And then she lifted me up and brought me inside the house. She had a wonderful supper prepared for me. I felt so good. I thought about running away from home the following day. (laughs) The idea of running away from home is not a new one. Jesus tells us a story about a young man who went to his father and asked for the inheritance. In 40 years of research, going from village to village, because in the Middle East, in the remote villages, life it's almost the same as it was thousands of years ago. He will go to these villages. He will read the story and ask the question, have this ever happened in your village? In 40 years of doing this, he got one answer. No way. It's impossible. Nothing like this ever have happened in our village because the kids are raised to respect obey and honor their parents and what this young man was doing was saying to his dad i wish you are dead no respectable individual in the middle east will ever look at his dad and will say i wish you are dead it doesn't happen it's impossible See, Jesus is telling a story that is out of the ordinary. In fact, Kenneth Bailey makes the observation that many of the stories of Jesus have a different twist than the original audience thought it should be. Like, for instance, the story of the Good Samaritan. Who is the hero of that story? The enemy. They expected that Jesus would make the Levi or the priest the hero of the story. Jesus offset the equilibrium and makes the Samaritan, the enemy, the hero of the story. And here he is telling a story that does not happen. Because he wants to illustrate a point by going to the extremes. Kenneth Bailey found two exceptions. One happened in Iran where a young man went to his father and asked for the inheritance. Three days later, the father died. The wife said he died from a broken heart. She said it was as if the son took a knife and he stabbed his father in the heart over and over and over. The pain was so unbearable, eventually the father died. I'd like to suggest to you that um, when we read the story, we assume that the biggest sin this young man committed was living with a prostitute. That's not his biggest sin. His biggest sin was separation from his father, and then everything was going downhill after that. He went to a far country, he left his family, his faith, his heritage, and ended up feeding pigs. No respectable Jew will ever do anything like this. In fact, in Deuteronomy, they are told not even to touch them. This young man was living with them. He was feeding them, but he didn't have enough food to eat. When we separate from God, we go into a spiral of downhill for us too. And just like what happened to that man, we are stabbing God in the heart. We bring grief and pain to his heart. The other exception happened in Palestine, Israel, where a young man went to his father and asked for the inheritance, immediately on the spot, the father shot him and killed him because he brought unbearable shame to the family by asking for the inheritance. And the concept of shame and honor are so big in the Middle East that shame is never tolerated. So this young man goes to a far country, Run out of money, ended up feeding pigs. And one day, as he was feeding pigs and he didn't have anything to eat, the goodness of his father came back to him. I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to Luke 15. And I'm going to read verses 17 to 19. Luke 15, 17 to 19. But when he came to himself... He said, How many of my father's hired servant have a bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he made his way back home. He rehearsed his speech or his repentance, whatever you want to call it. He came back home. He was hoping to be a hired servant, which is a step below a servant. The master was responsible for the servants. They lived in the house. They were taken care of. They were protected. But a hired servant was somebody they had during harvest time. When the harvest is over, they cut them loose. If they can't find the job, it's up to them to find something else or to die from starvation. He came back home. The father was waiting for him. He was sitting at the porch of his house every day, hoping, praying, and waiting for him. What did the father do when he saw him? What did he do? He ran. Why did he run? Now, you say he missed him. He loved him. He was anxious to see him. But there is more to it than that. But before I tell you why he ran, I have to tell you that elderly men in the Middle East don't run. It's against their dignity, and will bring shame to the family. In the Bika Valley in Lebanon in 1976, not long ago, 30 years ago, there was a celebration in a village, in a valley, Surrounded by mountains. And cars were parked on these hills around the village. There were a lot of people in the valley. And an earthquake came. And the cars started coming down on the people. And people started running every which way. But that day, four elderly men died because they refused to run. And to bring shame to their families. That's why Paul says that Jesus became shame for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Really, in this story, it didn't matter to the Father that if He will run, He will bring shame to Him To himself and to his family. What was really important for him is his love for his son. And that is how much our Heavenly Father loves each one of you here. If God has a computer, you will be the screensaver on it. He will delight in seeing you all the time. If God has a wallet, your picture will be in it. So he will brag about you all the time. And if God has a fridge, your picture will be on it. That's how much God loves you. The father ran and ran. Because he loved his son. Because he missed him. But also to protect him. There was a death penalty on that boy. There is a text in Deuteronomy that helped us to understand the culture at that time. Open with me to Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21. Easy to remember. This text, I went to the Internet last week. And I googled sermons on Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21. There were only three. And none of them have anything to do with this text. They have something to do with how to raise our children. How many of you have had children who disobeyed you? Let me see your hands, please. Didn't do what you asked them to do. All right, listen to the text. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastised him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders of his city, to the gate of his city. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours would not obey our voices. He's a glutton and a drunken. What are they supposed to do to him? Stone him, exactly. Then all of the men of his city shall stone him to death with his stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. There was a death penalty on this boy. And the father ran and ran to protect him to make sure he will be the first one to get to him. In the neighborhood where I grew up in, in Nineveh, there was a young girl who went to the University of Mosul, and she fell in love with a classmate. They start dating each other, and over the years they start talking about getting married. And one day she went to her father and asked for his blessings on this impending marriage. The father did not think that this young man was suited for his daughter. So he said no. They tried to talk him out of it, the mother, the sister. She tried everything, but he would not change his mind. But the young lady decided she will marry him anyway. She married this young man. She moved out of that area. And uh, ten years later, she felt homesick. So she decided to come home, especially to see her mother and her sister. She was sitting in the living room visiting with the two of them. That evening... When the father came home, he saw his daughter sitting in his living room. He was enraged that she disobeyed him. All of that anger came back to him. He went to the bedroom, got his gun, came and shot her and killed her. That should not be a surprise because here in this country, three, four years ago in Phoenix, Arizona, a family from the Middle East, the father thought that his daughter had become too westernized. He took his truck, ran over her and killed her. That's why the father ran. He fell on the boy, hugged him, and kissed him. In fact, the Greek says he kissed him much. He kissed him over and over and over. He was really deeply in love with him. And the first thing he did was he put a rope on him, which was and still is a sign of pardon, a sign of forgiveness, that whatever you have done is all gone, is forgiven. You don't have to worry about the past. That's really the way God deals with us. Maybe some of you have had a spiritual failure in your life. Whether it's big or small, it doesn't matter. I want you to know the minute you come to Jesus, He will put his robe on you. He will love you. He will hug you. He will kiss you. That's how much you mean to him. God is crazy about you. God is deeply in love with you. And this is what really the story is about. The story is not about a son who disobeyed, but about a father who is filled with a miracle of grace and love. There's always room in the heart of God for every one of us. I met Larry a few years ago. He was very, very well built. He had tattoos all over him. Uh, The back of his hands. I never have seen tattoos here, but he had them. His chin, back of his head, his legs, arms... He said he wanted to put it on his face, but he ran out of money. He spent $50,000 on this. I said, you got lucky that you ran out of money. There is no way you could get it out of your face. Well, in the course of the conversation, he told me he was the head deacons of his church. When the judgmental side in me came out, I stood up and I went as far away from him as I could. I said, what kind of a church made you the head deacons? If you come to our church, we will be debating whether to accept you as a member or not. He said he grew up in the church. He went to elementary school, academy, college. But something happened in college he didn't like, so he left college. He left God, he left the church, and ended up joining Hell's Angels. And for 15 years, he traveled with them all over the country, terrorizing people, dealing with drugs, stealing, going from jail to jail. But during that time, his mother woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning and prayed for him. She claimed promises from the Bible on his behalf. I talked to her that day. She said, I didn't know whether he was dead or alive. I didn't know whether he was in jail or out of jail. But I kept clinging to hope that God will bring my son back home. Imagine the pain this woman went through for 15 years. 15 years later, he got tired of this kind of life. So he left Hells Angels. He moved to San Francisco. He got a job. He rented an apartment. A girlfriend moved in with him. But his addiction to drugs was so strong, he stole from his boss to buy some drugs. He was caught. He was fired. He ran out of money, he was kicked out of the apartment, the girlfriend left him, and he ended up being homeless on the street of San Francisco. He lived in the same spot for weeks, progressively becoming very, very depressed. He looked awful, he smelled terrible. And one day, out of just sheer desperation he was in the depth of despair and decided to end his life. So he took a gun and pointed to his head. And just about he was ready to pull the trigger. He heard a voice from heaven saying, go to church. He have not been to church for 15 years. He ignored the voice. He doesn't want anything to do with God. He pointed the gun to his head. And just about he was ready to pull the trigger. He heard the voice again saying, go to church. This went on for several times. And finally, he surrendered to the voice. He went to a church in San Francisco. He said the church was fairly full. He sat in the last pew. But he looked so bad. He smells so bad about the, the, the last six pews of people, just people left from these pews. They couldn 't handle the smell, they couldn 't handle looking at him. He looked so awful, so terrifying. And then finally, the pastor came to preach. He put his notes and his Bible on the pulpit, and he looked at the congregation. And he spotted him in the back, so he went like this. And he stared at him. And then he went back again to try to preach. But he couldn't. So he went back again looking at him. And then he walked all the way to the back of the church. Fell on this man, hugged him and kissed him. It was his roommate from college days. Here's what happened one month earlier. The pastor and his wife who lived in San Francisco had some friends who wanted to go to Yosemite. So they called and asked if they could spend the night with them. All four of them went to the same college. After they ate supper, they took the annual from college days. And they were reminiscing. They were looking through the pages. And one of these pages was the picture of Larry. So the pastor's wife said to her husband, Hey, this is your roommate. I wonder what happened to him. And then they recalled the story of what happened to him. And the pastor's wife said, I really feel convicted that we need to just drop everything, kneel down, and pray for him. So they prayed for him. The following day, the friends left. The pastor looked at his wife. He said, I could not sleep last night. I was thinking about Larry. And this is what God told me to do. We need to pray for him every day till we meet him again. We might never meet him again, but we are going to pray for him. A month later, he showed up in church. Friends, because we have a God who answers our prayers. When that woman was praying, God was with her. And God was with her son. When this pastor was praying, God was with him and his wife. We have a God who cares about us. He cares about the prodigals. My vision for our church is that every mom and dad will be praying for their children. Whether they are in the church, in the Lord, or outside, it doesn't matter. They need God's protection and covering on them. My vision for our church is that every church will be loving and accepting of them. You know, we could have great buildings, great people, great resources, great schools and institutions, but if prodigals are not coming to the Lord, it's not the church. The church is the hope of the world. Because Jesus is the hope of the world. Because Jesus gave a better life. That's what we are offering to people. We're offering them love and acceptance and grace from our Heavenly Father. My prayer is every church will be loving and accepting. Whether people are looking great or looking terrible, it doesn't matter. You know, to God, it doesn't matter about your history. What to Him matters is your future. That's what it's all about. The story is dubbed as the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the loving father who goes out of his way to show grace and mercy to his son, to tell us he shows grace and mercy to all of us. The story is full of contrast. The son rebelled, deserved to die. The father put the rope on him to save him, to declare him righteous, to say, he's mine, nobody can touch him. The son wasted his money. The father gave him a ring to restore authority and wealth to him. He said, you lost everything, but a new wealth is given to you. Some of you might have had terrible losses. God has something better for you. And then the son in his rehearsed speech said, make me like one of your hired servants. The father put sandals on him because that is the symbol of sonship, S-O-N, sonship. He said, I don't want you to be my uh, servant or hired servant or slave. I want you to be my son again. He restored him fully to his position. You know, some of you might say, I am not worthy. Well, of course you are not worthy. It's not about you, not, not about me. None of us here is worthy in the sight of God. But we are worthy in Christ. And then, what was the last thing the father did? Does anybody remember? The fatted calf. The fatted calf was reserved for three occasions. Only three. A birth of a child. A wedding. And a big business transaction. Which one of these is in the story? It it, it is really... uh, Ultimately, it is the birth of a child, twice. Verse 24 of Luke 15, it says, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. And verse 32, it was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We have a celebration of a birth of a child. And you know what's amazing to me about this? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all of the angels are celebrating. Have you ever thought about it? When you came to Jesus, there was that big of a celebration. All of the angels were singing, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were rejoicing over you. In in Zephaniah chapter 3, it says, God sings over you. When the son came back home, he was treated as if he never rebelled. And that's the treatment you get when you come to Jesus. What was the reaction of the older brother? Not good. He was angry. He was upset. Is it possible that you could be in the Father's house and not know the Father's heart? And that is really the biggest tragedy of all of them. You could be in the church. You could know all of the doctrines. You could do all of the right things. But if you don't know the heart of God, you have missed it all. The story is to know the heart of God, which is filled with grace toward you. I was uh, flying one day from Chicago to Miami. I got on the plane. There were three seats on this side, three seats on this side. I came and I sat on the aisle seat. People start coming in. And finally, this young woman, a mother of two, came in. She had a girl, about five, six years old, walking in front of her with shoes that sparkle every time she hits the floor. And she had a little boy, about ten months old, in a harness behind her back. She had two bags She did not want to check them and pay for them. And she came to where I was sitting. So I stood up, and I helped her put her luggage on top. And she went and sat by the uh, window seat, and she flipped this boy from in a harness behind her, and now she's holding him in, in in her arms. And the little girl sat next to me. A few minutes later, the plane took off, and um, I noticed this mother had a problem. The minute she was paying attention to the little girl, the little boy got fussy. She paid attention to the little boy. The girl got upset. She wanted to have the attention, so I offered my services. I, I, I said to her, would you like me to read for your daughter? Oh, she said, please. She gave me a bunch of children books and I started to read for this little girl. Everything was fine till we got within about half an hour of Miami and the most violent thunderstorm to hit planet Earth since the flood came that day was only second in magnitude and the plane started going every which way, up, down, sideways and about... Five minutes into this turbulence, this little girl next to me started to scream. And then the individual in front of her started to scream. And then the individual behind us. And in less than two minutes, the whole plane is screaming. And if you are asking about me, of course I have to join in with the rest of them. You might think, I am an old man because of my hair. I want to tell you. I had shiny black hair that day because of the turbulent turned immediately into white. Well, this went on for about another 15 minutes or so. It was a horrific experience, a terrible experience. Well, finally, we landed in Miami. I am here. I am the proof. And everyone on that plane gave their hearts to Jesus at least for five minutes and then reverted back to their old ways. Well, I, I looked at this woman, and I said to her, look, you take care of your children, I will take care of your luggage for you. I'd like you to picture what happened. So she was holding this little baby in her arms, and the little girl was next to her, and I was next to the little girl, and we were walking, from the secure side of the airport to the unsecured side on the other side. And about the distance between here and the wall over there, the little boy, because of the turbulence, redeposited everything he had eaten from the day he was born <laughs> and shot it all at his mother. Half of it bounced off her face, came back to him, and I looked at both of them. She was covered with vomit. He was covered with vomit. She looked really ugly. They smelled terrible. So I went as far away from them as I could. I couldn't handle the smell. And then we crossed the line to the unsecured side of the airport, a big airport, a lot of people. And out of nowhere, this very handsome guy, very well-built, came running to this woman, and he took her into his arms and started kissing her. And I looked at him and I said, "She's ugly. She looked terrible. She smelled terrible." But it didn't matter to him because he was in love. And then he took the little boy, wiped the vomit off his face, and started kissing him. And then he took the mother, the two children into his arms. He hugged them tight and was kissing them. He was so happy. To see his family. I was very, very moved at that moment. And in front of hundreds of people, I knelt down. And I said, Lord, thank you that you love me that much. When you come to Jesus, really it doesn't matter whether you are covered with vomit or smelling like pigs it doesn't matter to him it doesn't matter to him whether you have been a saint or a sinner he still loves you it doesn't matter whether you are white or black or anywhere in between he still loves you it doesn't matter whether you are a saint or a sinner or If you have been educated or not, whether you are tall or short, beautiful or ugly, he still is deeply in love with you. That's what the story is all about. Let's all stand up and sing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace was written by John Newton. We know the last few words he said. He said, I am 83 year old man. I have learned two things in life. First, that I am a great sinner. But most importantly, that Jesus is a great Savior.